Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So you guys remember the question from the last episode? If you don't, that's okay. I didn't either until I decided to uh, look it up. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, might need a refresher. <laughs> All right. So my question from the previous episode was, um, okay, I had to repress the urge to give you a different question. Because <laughs> <laughs> I actually have another question, but I'll save that for another day. Um, watching hockey broadcasts, what terminology do broadcasters use that just drive you crazy? No. It can be anything and everything. It doesn't have to be like, oh, this is exciting outside here. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, generic hockey terms of phrase that people like to use. It can be particular to a specific broadcaster. It can be what everybody uses. It can be something somebody made up on the fly and they decided to keep using it, whatever. it's going to be hard for me to do this without like railing on specific broadcasters that I don't like. Um, there's a couple of them that, that have a, uh, catch. I don't want to call it a catchphrase. They have a fallback when they lack the vocabulary to describe something else in a different term. You know, people get on doc Emmerich because he uses little, his own little colloquials. Mm-hmm. Waffle boarded to the corners, skittered away, that kind of stuff. But that's Doc. He at least took the time to come up with something convenient as opposed to great glove save and just shout great glove save. <laughs> and and it's there's a couple of them that do it. There's one in particular, and I'm not going to name names, but everything's, you know, great. It's great this, great save, great shot, great save, great glove save. And I'm just like, oh, God, somebody buy that person a thesaurus, please, for the love of God. (laughs) Well, Pat? Honestly, I've gotten so bad into the habit of not listening with sound. Um, Goalie's got to have that. Goalie's got to have that one is uh, the one that drives me up the wall. Because usually it it's you know it's not followed up by well here's what the defense did and here's why he should have had it. It's just nope, goalie's got to have that one. That's a bad goal. Just there's no nuance. It's just oh uh, well if the goalie lets it in, it's always his fault. Right. Well, conversely to that, you were sitting there saying that my other phrase I was going to come up with is he's got a score there. It's like, come on, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, out, outside of literally being in the blue paint in a wide open net, the whole object is you're not going to score every shot. You know, oh, yeah, it was prime scoring opportunity. He had to score there. Yeah, it's, oh. that, that's, that's no better than, you know, fans shooting or shouting to shoot on a power play when there are three guys, you know, three yeah, penalty there's no killers shot. <laughs> that have taken away all sight lines of netting. You know, yeah, that area those. where you're trying to, to, to force the puck. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm watching, you know, uh, as we're recording this, the, the Bruins are through. 
to the Stanley Cup final and and just monitoring, you know, watching Bees fans. I've got a number of them I follow in, so on sorry. Twitter. Uh, <laughs> no, the ones I follow are quality. I, um, they're good people, but, right. you know, they, they every once in a while jump into the Tuka Rask fight. And it's just hysterical to watch some of the, the Boston, you know, Tuka's got to have that puck, hey? Just, <laughs> yeah, okay. He's what's he supposed to do? Like completely detach the right side of his body so that it can get over to the other side of the net faster. You know, his job isn't to play defensive coverage to prevent those cross ice passes. His job is to stop the puck. Right. And, you know, like we were sort of talking about um, a few episodes ago about playing goal in the AHL versus the NHL. It's a lot easier because the defensive structures are, are designed to prevent those, you know, those rapid lateral motions. So when they do happen in the NHL, you know, of course you're going to score. <laughs> See, I hate, I hate the, uh, the broadcasters who feel like they have to be all, all old timey to get, you know, taken seriously. Like, Oh, that's a glove save and a beauty. Like, dude, it's not the 1950s. <laughs> Scoops McKenzie here for the broadcast in the Great Montreal Forum. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Doc Emmerich because he's an intelligent play-by-play guy. You don't have to like some of the terminology he uses, but he will actually, upon occasion, take the time to explain what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, when he can get a word in edgewise. Right. So, you know, it's like the whole idea that the hockey's on TV to bring in new fans. And that is, I don't know, a weird idea, but it is an idea that's out there. The broadcasters do a really damned awful job of, like, trying to help the fans figure out what's going on. I mean, you don't have to talk dumb to them. I mean, you don't have to dumb down the game, but, like, take two seconds to explain what happened. I think, you know? I think a lot of that's market driven. The national guys don't do it that often. Emmerich's about the only one who I think consistently does it. The local guys, uh, local guys tend to be cater to the market, you know, and I still agree with you that they should take the time to do it because even though you're in Montreal or Toronto or Boston, you know, somewhere where there's been hockey since before there was water, everyone still doesn't know the game. You know, you still you still have the risk, and I say risk sarcastically. There's still a risk you might find new people in those cities oh, that no. that have never that have never been fans of hockey. So, or you know, God forbid, someone learn you know one new thing about hockey despite being a fan for twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years. You know, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I was laughing. They say they're fans, but. How many how many people knew that, you know, the hand pass wasn't reviewable? Right. So I'm going to sit here and play fan police. Oh, I've been watching, you know, I've had, <laughs> I, I had so many people tell me, oh, I've been watching hockey for 30 years. They can review that. And I'm like, show me where. <laughs> Just because you've been watching hockey doesn't, you know, watch it. Don't try and claim that you're, you know. You know everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... 
for me, it comes down to, and I always think back on this, is when I was blogging about the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, they had uh, the hockey and heels thing for women to, to get to know the game without having men shooting them down as they're getting to know the game. And um, it, it, because Eisenman had just taken over, so it was really almost like a new new market again because um, the team was so bad that it drove away a lot of people. And so new people were discovering the team and all of that. And so, you know, I had I had a couple of guys actually say to me, I wish they would have something like that for, for the men. Yeah, and I don't think they'd ever do it because of the machismo factor, right? In certain markets. I mean, now now that said, you know, I'm sorry I'm jumping all over you, Pat. If you have anything, just yell at me to shut up. Um, <laughs> oh, I was just wondering, could I finally put my arm down about the, uh, you know, hand pass rule in the Mr. review? Mr. Clark, do you need to go to the restroom, sir? Um, no, I'm I'm Okay. <laughs> I've um, I watch a lot of the regional broadcasts, and I have seen, and I and I cannot remember off the top of my head right now. I have seen some teams do clinics. You know, you can always get guys to come out under the guy you know, under the guise that it's a clinic, right. right? It's a learn how this works type clinic, but it's kind of the same concept. You know, you're just pandering to that side of it. But I've seen a few that do those. They'll say, you know, we're having a hockey clinic. Right. And I, I mean, obviously, if you couldn't market it the same way, I, I actually cringe whenever I see hockey and heels as a title for anything. I'm like, uh, <laughs> way to alienate half the population with that. And it's such a such not a good term anyway. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, it was just. It was just something that periodically pops into my head because you were saying, Patrick, you know, not everybody, even in, you know, markets have had hockey for the last hundred years, professional hockey, um, knows it, you know, people move in and out of cities and, and, you know, people are born and, and people are like, you know, die, (laughs) cycle of life. Um, and, and not everybody knows everything. And so the other thing too, with like the regional broadcasts or the local broadcasts is that, um, sometimes there's an assumption that everybody does know everything, which is fine up to a point, but you're, so like another example, my, uh, I have a coworker, um, who is a lot older. He's in his sixties. And he is starting to try to get back into hockey again, Boston, right? Boston broadcasts and everything. And yeah, I know, right? And, and he's like, I, I don't know what's going on half the time. It's like my, my boys played hockey and, I, and I'm watching these broadcasts and I don't know what's going on half the time. So. And that's know. a shame too, because if you catch Boston on the right day, it's, not only really entertaining, but really informative, but you're talking about, you know, one out of 10 games. And that's so tough to kind of hang your hat on or or latch onto. Yeah. I, I freely admit, and I hate saying the word, I hate saying the term guilty pleasure, but Boston broadcasts are a guilty pleasure for me. I absolutely love the open fanaticism and sometimes pure 
chaotic insanity out of Jack Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> now it, it, it's really when you don't have a stake in the game. Oh, it's it's so and, much. It's so delicious. And that's you know, I like I like I continue to say I'm a recovering habaholic. I've been Habs free since 1995, so I have <laughs> no team. And I get to enjoy these broadcasts, and I love you know one. Of, they're actually one of my favorite intermission shows. Um, uh, Peterson and and Billy Jaffe do fantastic jobs of breaking down stuff, and when they bring in Andy Brickley, they do a fantastic job there too. So they're actually, you know, that that's it's sort of like four hundred level hockey in some cases, but I I swear by them. You know, they're I think they're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's the homerism that like puts a lot of people off. Oh well, yeah, you know, obviously, because they're usually watching it because they're it's their team playing Boston. Yeah, and that's understandable. Um, I mean, and I don't have a team either. Uh, I am, I grow, or I shouldn't say grow up because I kind of discovered hockey when I was like nineteen. But um, I got into hockey through junior hockey, so I tend to follow players instead of teams. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, so I would watch them and I'd just like roll my eyes. It's like Boston and, and their homerism and be like, Oh God, really? <laughs> I never quite got the entertainment out of it that you do, Patrick. <laughs> I, like I said, I just love to sit back and, and listen to him go, especially if it's one of those, you know, just frenetic slobber knocker games where it's. You know, it's just chaos on the ice because he just he takes it to like a whole different plane. And it's funny because I don't think a lot of people remember him on ESPN. Mm, mm -hmm. Because he used to be part of the ESPN hockey crew, and that's where he was. He was doing in studio stuff, but also would do play by play there. And And he was a much different play by play caller. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. He still had a lot of energy. But you're 100% right. You know, it was always right down, you know, as much around the middle. It was always about the excitement of the play. And, man, when he landed in Boston on NESN, that flipped that switch. And it was pure entertainment at that point. <laughs> so you guys probably won't believe this, but Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick did this really great interview on their podcast one time. Uh, specifically with Jack Edwards, and, and he kind of broke down why he does what he does, and he fully admits, oh, yeah, I'm going full Homer. Why wouldn't I? Makes it a little more entertaining for the people tuning in night in, night out. And, you know, I appreciate that candor. And, you know, as someone that, you know, I'll probably watch 10 Bruins broadcasts this season, um, I don't mind it. I really don't. I, I wish everyone was way more open with it. But then again, I kind of take it upon myself as the person that I do follow a team game in, game out. But I like to think I have an appreciation of hockey above a single team, especially in the NHL. Um, I've made an effort in past seasons to only watch the opposing team's broadcasts just to kind of when you watch the same crew, you know, 40 to 80 times you you pick up the same stick you hear the repeated stories and they break plays down the same way so at a certain point you stop loot you know learning anything from these people outside of you know insider information where they talk about 
oh, a certain person isn't feeling well and they're, you know, limited in what they can do versus I kind of take away a lot from the opposing team's broadcast just because they're hearing the stories that I don't have, you know, time to catch up on during the day. Uh, and then during the broadcast, I, I I at least take away two or three interesting tidbits. It may not be they're breaking down plays for me night in, night out, but there's something to be gained by listening to someone that's homerish in the other direction. Yeah, I agree. Um, although <laughs> I will say that the um, living about an hour west of Boston. Um, the people that I work with are not a fan of Boston broadcasters. <laughs> and are, they're Boston are, fans. <laughs> are people in Massachusetts a fan of anything? No. Okay. That that's kind of the gist I got. Well, except Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, I like yeah. Tom Brady. That's about it. No, no, they 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 love their teams and they love the players on the teams, but everything else they don't like. No, they love certain players on the team. Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. I mean, like, I'll go back to the 2K hate, right? Right. Well, I mean, I haven't heard a lot of that. I think I've heard a lot of, like, just being very critical of the players on their team, which I can relate to because, you know, I'm a, I grew up a Seattle sports fan. But, um, but yeah, that I don't – I haven't heard personally. And, you know, it's just a limited group of people. So, um I haven't heard personally a lot of people are really trashing on specific players. Oh, um, I, I, because I've got my fingers in so many different fan, and I hate saying that because that's phrasing. I'm going to change that. <laughs> you know what? I might just edit that part out because I have contacts and, and associates and friends in so many different fan bases. Um, I kind of get, you know, things retweeted into my timeline or sent to me an email where I get to see some of these people. And, you know, even on the various, some of the various podcasts I listen to are just hysterical because, um, they'll go on like the, the Reddit page for that particular team or the Facebook page for that particular team and pull out, you know, the flamiest of flaming takes. <laughs> and I have to just sit there and sort of giggle. Cause it's like, you guys, uh, you people think that the the broadcasters are, are way over the top and homerific. Goes talk to some of these fans, and yes, it's the greasy wheel syndrome. You know, they're the they're the loudest, but uh. oh yeah, yeah. No, I've 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 come across that too. Where where like every single fan base inevitably you watch. I, I follow people on you know that are fans of all most almost I think every team um, or you know, reporters or bloggers or whatever on Twitter. And um, I get a lot of both sides. And so watching Twitter while a game is going on, you'd be probably not amazed, frankly, but how much both sides are saying, oh, the referee totally favors the other team and the broadcasters totally uh. favor the other team. <laughs> and I'm like... Why aren't you guys like tweeting consecutive tweets so I can screenshot this? <laughs> but everyone, all over, always. It, it's always, it always turns out that way. All right, Cassie, I think you opened up Pandora's box when you said referee. <laughs> I think we have to go there next. Oh, no, you know, it's funny. I was, I, 
Speaking of coworkers, I actually had a coworker this last week ask me to uh, ask a question of you guys. <laughs> okay. And that was that was does the NHL have an officiating problem or a review problem? It has a review problem. It has a head of officiating problem. Okay. It has a review problem. Yeah. Now, let me clarify when I say it has a head of officiating problem. Everyone knows because it's what the 200 hockey men want. And it, this is really the case. The regular season is officiated one way. The playoffs are officiated another way. Mm-hmm. It's a fact of life. Some people like it that way. Some people hate it that way. I'm kind of like it, but I have my referee biases because after all, they are the third team on the ice and somebody's got to root for them every once in a while. <laughs> but it literally can't be just you and Jeff Merrick. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a whole website behind it. I mean, I've, I, I can't be the only one that goes to scouting the refs every game or before every day. So, but Literally, heads of officials, heads of series and playoffs, they're literally telling guys, all right, you need to watch out for this. You need to change this. You need to let this go. You need to t- tighten down on this. So, of course, standards change from day to day, game to game. And, I mean, it's just kind of just like the uh, review problem where there's just an inconsistency in what the rules state and then what basically the GMs want you to be able to do. Everything is because of some reaction, you know, offside replay was put into effect because Matt Duchesne was offside by five feet. And yet, you know, we're going extreme to this point. Um, and then little plays like the hand pass in the St. Louis San Jose series, that's not a reviewable play because we have these inconsistent rules because no one got burned with it. But just wait till this offseason where hand pass and high sticks will be reviewable. And it it's a it's a management and legislative problem when it comes down to it. I think ninety-nine percent of the time the officials do as good a job as humanly possible because they are viewing everything at ice level and not from this, you know, slanted bird's eye view from above the ice surface. So. And they're also reviewing, or they're also making the calls in real time, which is very different than looking at replay after replay after replay. Yeah. And a lot of, and you know, they don't get to go over to the penalty boxes and review the play before they make the call. You know, they make the call and then, Every once in a while, they can go over and review the play, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the question actually was brought up, and, and then we had this discussion with my coworker, Scott, and he was, uh, um, we, were sit- we were trying to figure out if there were any requirements to be an NHL on-ice official. Uh, and in terms of fitness testing and that sort of thing, rather than, you know, experience. 
And there aren't any listed. Actually, there's very little listed about on ice official requirements, even in terms of like experience. Um, obviously, you have to work your way through the system, through the ranks to get to the NHL and to get to playoffs for that matter. But um, at least online, publicly, there's very little that's available for that. So it's not just a matter of referees calling games in real time it's also a matter of them being able to keep up with the play because some of them may not be as quick and as fast as nhlers because they don't have the same workout regimen that nhlers do which is an interesting point i don't think um i think it was the bobcast bob mckenzie and he was like a couple weeks ago talking about um you know, because obviously this has been big news, the playoffs, the the level of officiating. Um, he was saying that there have been camps that they do like in August that are sort of like um, introduction camps. And sort of they, bring, they try and bring in people who might not be thinking about going into officiating. And run them through a camp and they try and identify apparently in that camp, they try and identify candidates for positions um, in the NHL, whether it is somebody at a lower level who comes to the orientation camp and, and they see this person, you know, as great positioning, great skill, you know, great speed, that kind of stuff. So I think they're, whether they're documented anywhere or not, I think there are some that are out there. They, they have like, a conditioning camp um someone had written an article for espn last year about it and they'd interviewed a bunch of on ice officials and and what was going on with that and um so they do have like i don't want to say development camps but it's basically a, a training camp for the on ice officials mm-hmm. uh but from the what I got from the interviews and what was being asked, and again, it was probably also a question of what was being asked, because this question never came up. Um, they didn't seem to have any requirements for conditioning. It was just sort of one of those you come you you come into training camp, and if you can do everything, then you're good. So there's no like off-season regimen like players get or any of that. No, all of that definitely varies from official to official. So to peel back the curtain a little bit, I was actually at one time in my early 20s, um, I took place in USA hockey officiating camps and kind of worked uh, select tournaments or, or tryouts for national programs. Uh, kind of in the spring season as kind of a way to one, you know, improve my own stock as I was working, you know, the highest level of um, amateur games uh, locally in North Carolina, but also starting to work some junior hockey. And when I say junior hockey, I mean, players that are, you know, they're one step away from beer league. Two or three. Oh, tier three level C, you know, just kind of some of the worst of the worst junior hockey you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's still super fast athletes. 
at a time where my metabolism is starting to drop and I actually have to expend more effort and more conditioning time just to keep up with plays. And this is in a three-man officiating crew where I'm skating end-to-end as the referee. Linesmen haven't made. I will say that and so much easier. But it was kind of a feeder system. Well, okay, if you could do this and you were a young enough player, you could end up working semi-pro games. You would get on uh, like the SPHL's radar. Or some of my state-level supervisors were both um, – they worked in the ECHL and AHL as both referees and linesmen. So there is a bit of a feeder system. The problem is not enough high-end referees with the skating skill. Because um, I'll go ahead and say I think all the NHL officials have the endurance. They may not have the footwork year in, year out uh, required of them. But there is a system to kind of get people up to a certain level. Mm-hmm or to kind of feed them higher and higher to the NHL. The problem is, I think, detecting talented, uh, non-playing individuals happens way too late in life. And so if you don't make it, 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 it's sort of like a a junior player. Well, if you can't be playing major junior or get a college scholarship, you know, the chance of you making it to the NHL are, you know, less than, a fraction of a fraction of a percent. So I think this is why in Bob McKenzie kind of did the story where they're kind of introducing new camps where they're pulling in, you know, players maybe before the end of their career to kind of grab them earlier and try and plant a seed so they can get them. Yeah. Like the guys that aren't going to take the next step up to the next level. Right, or the guys that are sort of aging out of the AHL to a certain degree. Yeah, there's this article that I was reading. They were interviewing one of the one of the on ice officials is actually a former ECHL player. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that plays right into that. Yeah, well, just, sorry, go ahead, Pat. You know, if if someone has a physical skill and you've been around the game long enough, you know how to call the rules. But then it comes down to and I'm going to use the dreaded word, managing a hockey game, because there is such a thing as doing that. Very um, much so. Because, and I will, if you want to get me on a soapbox, referees do not control the game, but they can manage it. They can't affect what numbskull on the white team's doing, and they can't affect what numbskull, you know, B is doing on the red team. But they sure can, you know, put a stop to it real quick. Unfortunately, they are in another reactive position. They can't be proactive and say, oh, I think you're going to do this, so I'm going to call you. No, they can only do what they see and react to that. They can't they there's nothing that they can do is preventative. Uh, yeah, my my uh, um, that I came up with this week when I was thinking about it was that the problem really is in the NHL in particular there's a fear that the on-ice officials will determine the game. And the thinking really needs to switch to on-ice officials react to the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, was kind of giggling because I don't know if you probably did because it made the rounds through every major sort of Twitter personality, but Scott Hartnell's threatening of trying out for um, 
an officiating position now that he's retired. I would absolutely love to see a player like that get into officiating. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the officials, by and, and I don't want to say by and large, uh, from what I've seen for the most part, you know, they're late 30s, 40s, and officiate into 50s in some cases. Um, so, you know, it's obviously a way for those guys who may not have the legs to play hockey, but have the legs to at least keep up with the play of hockey as an official after they retire. So I think it'd be funny. I, I would just love to see a couple of, you know, former recently retired NHLers jump into officiating. That'd be pretty awesome. Oh, it'd be, oh, it'd it'd be, be hilarious. Especially if, especially if Hartnell lets that, you know, crusty the clown hair grow again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it would never happen. But... Oh, I hope it would. I'd love it. Because uh, they could still keep the Hartnell Down Foundation going, too. <laughs> uh, so not only is he donating money to charity, but he'll always be the, you know, buying the beverages for the crew after the game. Because the first person to fall is the person that's buying. Right. So... And, and and I doubt he'd get suspended for doing tequila shots with Wyshynski. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, and um, then on top of that, he can still get into altercations with other players. It's just he doesn't have to hit anybody. He can throw them out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, Patrick, you actually kind of brought up a unique and interesting point about how, you know, these refs, they... Some of them continue to work into their 60s. I think one thing that's kind of lost is the NHL just went to a four-person officiating crew in, I think, 2000-2001 season. I think because of that, you know, we're we're talking about 18, 19 years later. But I think there are a lot of officials that kind of held on longer because of it, because I... You weren't going to see an influx of new officials joining the ranks. I think they had to kind of backload the AHL to kind of get ready for the adjustment all those years later. And I don't think they officially or or, or did a good enough job kind of compensating because only in the last five years have we seen a real large turnover in the guys working, you know, especially playoff bound uh, officials. It, it used to be the same names year in, year out. I, I could tell you without a doubt, Chris Chris Rooney will be officiating the Stanley Cup final next year or this next week or whenever it starts at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, year in, year out, I could say, okay, Brad Watson's probably in that group, although he finally just retired uh, at the end of the regular season. So I think there's still going to be an adjustment in who is working these games and hopefully the league will adjust to that. But I think there just needs to be a better. Maybe it's just a a larger number of officials need to kind of come in and, and they need to manage individuals less and just kind of maybe group crews together. Uh, You know, yeah, now that you bring that up, it kind of reminds me a little bit of expansion in the NHL, right? You know, it it takes a while to you only have a deep you only have a pool so deep of of kids 
and talent out there until you create another generation. Yeah. And unfortunately with officials, you know, you have to be certifiable, you know, apologies, Pat, um, to want to go into being official because especially at the youth levels, it's just nothing but abuse. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, I've, oh God, having coached a few times, I just, I would, I've kicked a couple of parents out because I'm like, no, I'm not having it. You know, you're not going to rail on these guys. They make mistakes. If they, you know, it was the sort of, if you're going to do this here, we're going to show up to where you work and yell at you when you make it a screw up. Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing this for hardly any money because they love the sport. Get out, you know, go stand outside and scream and smoke a cigarette, do whatever the hell you want. Just get out of here. Yeah. Cause you're, you're, you're embarrassing all of us. So that, that did... described that described me to a T for years and years until the point where I had lost a full-time gig and I almost had to rely on refing. And that was the last year I officiated because I worked so much. I, I just physically couldn't do what I knew I was capable of mm-hmm. anymore after that point. But it reminds me of my favorite tactic when you do have a play or a parent or someone in the stands like that. You just go over to the score clock. You just start. You just turn on the clock. Let it run. Let it run. Let it run until the person leaves. And it gets everyone in the stands mad at that individual and takes the heat off you for whatever you didn't do. And it works like clockwork. Oh, that's cheeky. That's cheeky. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. (laughs) Now imagine imagine that happening in an NHL game where a coach is beaking or a player just won't get away from the ref's crease. Never happened in a million years, but oh, it's a good tool in the tool bag. (laughs) That's awesome. So um, we kind of we kind of flew away from my response of, of whether it's a it's a quality of official or or video review problem and it's mm-hmm. I, I always come back to um, it's expectations and when they opened the Pandora's box of reviewing certain things it then be you set you raise the expectations that everything it comes under scrutiny whereas previously when there was no video review you kind of lived with it. Every, there was a there was an implied contract with everyone that they're going to make mistakes. And then Matt Duchesne happened. And then people started complaining. We've got the technology. Well, the minute you start using some of the technology for certain things, but not other things, you've raised the expectations that those other things need to be, you know, covered by the same technology. And so we end up with situations where we're having these massive discussions of why didn't they review uh, Eakin, the Eakin major? Why didn't they review the hand pass? Mm -hmm. Why didn't they review the David Perron delay a game? These are just the most freshly ingrained in memory ones, but you know, there's been, there's been a bunch of them in this playoff series that have, that have caused people to stand up and scream about wanting to extend a review to this or that or the other thing. And And as Sean McIndoe said, it's always these arguments always come from what from replay are very easy calls to make. Yeah. And once we start doing it for an easy call that 
honestly, if it, it's missed one out of 20 or one out of 100 times, it's going to open the box for, okay, what's next after they expand things? Because that's where we're going this offseason is replay is going to be expanded. Coaches challenges may or may not be part of that. Um, but where where's the line drawn? It's all it's all like, and we've all been there where we start a project, whether it's school or at work. We have our we have our idea of what we're going to do, and we finish it, and then we realize that we need to do this. Oh, and then we need to do that. Oh, and then we forgot to do this. Oh, and then we need to add that in there. And suddenly, it's not anything that it was before. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's that's the road the NHL is heading down. And so it's it's a lot of people not thinking about the consequences of their actions and their decisions. It's a lot about let's just react to this one thing that happened and fix it so that people will stop screaming about it. Yeah, and I continue to come back to this. Oh, if you do video review, you've taken it out of the ref's hands. And I go, okay. Why don't you use the video assistant model? Why don't you take one of the guys off the ice, one of the refs off the ice, put them in the arena so you have a backup official in case the guy on the ice gets injured, and he's your video assistant referee. He, you know, they've got the mics down there now that they, you know, they step back and flip the mic switch and tell the arena what happened or call the penalty. They can put an earbud in them, you know, and that, and which that already they probably happens. already have. Yeah, it, they do it in IHF. Yeah, put the earbud in them, you know, and maybe they don't have the power to stop play. I mean, you know, the implementation details, the little, you know, when do they have the power to stop the player or anything like that can be ironed out. But come on, right? That I think. And I'm, I'm going to go real sort of galaxy braining here. I think that also helps. You can put the the junior official of the team in that video review, and they get to see the game from that perspective. And maybe when they get promoted up and they're on the ice, they take that learning and knowledge with them. So that might be a way to sort of you know because they they have the the senior and the junior on the crew currently. Generally, one of the refs is either you know either just coming into the league or is still fairly new and they pair them with one of the guys that's been there for a while, you know, and they, they try and mentorship. So you can put that mentor position a little bit differently, you know, you just, and then plus you open up that space on the ice. Cause I think Rod Brindamore was saying something about, um, you know, the guys, they're bigger, they're faster, the rinks haven't grown in size. And now we've got an extra ref on there. So pucks are getting, you know, they're getting in players' ways. Pucks are getting, you know, bounced around off them where 15, 20, or actually, no, I can't even say that because it was 2001. 30 years ago, God, I'm old. Um, you just had the two linesmen and the one, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the one orange armband was always deep in the zone, you know, and the two linesmen were out high. So, you know, I think there's solutions there that don't, involve reviewing everything like back in Toronto and only on demand. I think the solution is there that the on ice official can call up to his partner who's During got the power breaks to in play. Yeah. And, and 
you know, say, hey, I, you know, or if a play gets blown dead for whatever reason, the guy can call down and say, hey, you know, we need to we need to review this because I've watched enough rugby, um, international rugby that, you know, I see him do it all the time. You know, the ref will just sit down there. They'll blow the play dead for for some reason. And they'll call up and say, hey, can I get a can you get a review on whether this was a um, you know, whether it was this infraction or that infraction? And it generally only takes like 30, 40 seconds at most. So. I think the biggest obstacle is getting these new bean counters. Because that's kind of what they're going to be like, like stat keepers. They need to be embedded in the arenas and it can't be centralized in Toronto. Because that, just that video delay and time delay alone, just, I think that causes more of a drag and and slows things down versus doing exactly what you said. Because you're not the first person to bring up the rugby uh, scenario to me in the past week. So... I think if you could add one more person to the officiating crew and had them basically have a fixed place in every arena where they could work that's not next to the press boxes, um, I think it would be perfect. I, so I think that place is you know kind of down there at the scorer's table. Honestly, I think most of the arenas, the scorer's tables are big enough and it's, you know, the technology has gotten so that you don't need, you know, a 50-inch rear projection TV in every arena. You get a nice, high-quality monitor, and they can work down there. Or, I mean, even if it's somewhere in the bowels of the arena. Yeah, somewhere in the corners, because my initial thought was, I like how tennis has their lead official elevated above the playing surface. I would think because I'm watching a game in San Jose as we record, you know, go grab uh, my one of my favorite skaters, Brett Hedekin's old perch, where, you know, you're you're standing up on some stairs and you kind of have a, uh, a seat set up for you. Just like uh, when the goal judges, they were moved from behind the behind the nets to then they were moved into the corners, then they're moved God knows where. Um, cause I think it's different for every arena now, but mm-hmm. just find a kind of a permanent spot where they can set up and just have one monitor with a live feed and, you know, a couple, some replay, some, you know, callback, uh, controls. Yeah. And I don't even think they need, sorry, Cassie, I don't even think they need to be watching the game. You're like, you know, watching the action on the ice, they should, you know, be more focused on, you know, the, the feeds that they have coming into their room. So you could conceivably just put them in the bowels somewhere. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's good to have them somewhere where they can view something in real time uh, as well as having the video there. Cause j- you just have two different angles, two different options to look at versus two different fixed cameras, uh, which I don't love. Um, just cause we're, we'll never see all the feeds that the officials do or don't get to look at uh, during these replays on their uh, iPad minis. <laughs> so my my one concern about all of this is the NHL, if they were to go this path, may designate that role to someone who works, who is 
in that location and not one of the officiating staff necessarily mm-hmm. so that you know you're going to have someone making that final decision on a reviewable play who works for the home team that's why i was saying i think if you if if you make it part of the officiating crew you make it that second that second ref and as part of that as part of the two ref crew one of them is the video assist referee then you take that away and then you also like i said you you get one of the guys off the ice you still have a backup there in case something happens because you know and then in the event that something does happen maybe they fall back to video assist in toronto I mean, if that's the way it worked, that would be great. I'm I'm just concerned that if they went that way, they'd be like, oh, we'll just have the home team figure it out. Yeah, I I don't think the officials union would ever sign off on that. And I think that may be a reason why it hasn't happened to date. Um, And that may be something that the NHL has to give into if push comes to shove. See, they aren't losing any positions, right? I think at this point, the the we'll never see a reduction in on ice officials or officials that work a game, right? NHL officials that work a game because there's no way the 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 refs union is going to say, okay, you know, we're losing a third of our membership because we're having you know we're having the on ice officials. But if you provide them the technology and and the means to do this, they still have a four-man crew. And there's a little bit more air cover for them as well. Because they they still have the control as the officials over the reviews and, and consultation and that. And they can call the Toronto if necessary. But I think the, the control aspect is something that they'll want to keep. Because if it, everything's video review, I know some of the officials out there today say, you know, we love it. It's it's helpful to us. But the minute you start expanding it, it becomes less helpful to them because now somebody's going to interject themselves all the time. And you could be saying, there's a reason I didn't call that high stick or there's a reason that I let this, you know, if you play go kind of going back to game management. Not that they should ever ignore high sticks or anything like that, but, you know, sometimes those intermediate little hooks on the hands or something, they're not calling because they've set the standard. Right. Yeah, I think it ultimately comes down to who has final call. I could see them, if they wanted to institute bringing back older referees, to do this position and perhaps they're working for the league and not as officials. They're part of the department of player safety. Um, if they were ever given control of the call, as opposed to the referee who's, you know, down on the ice, who has the final say at this point? Um, Cause I see some of the judgment being taken out of their hands. And I wonder if, if that leads to some of those head scratching reviews that we see from time to time where things are getting overturned when we don't see that definitive, okay, 
something is different than what we saw in real time. Or here's the clear view of the puck going in the net versus we're just guessing at this point. Um, I'm afraid that my biggest concern is the judgment or the final say on a call being taken away from an official. And if it is, I'd rather have another official who's part of a crew working in unison during the game yeah. uh, to make that judgment. I'm yeah. 100% with that. I think that's the only way it should be done. And they opt to let Toronto come in if they need help. That sounds good to me. All right, what else can we solve? <laughs> what other world talkies problems? The Middle East, or I mean, we're on a roll. <laughs> there hasn't been anything in the World Championships uh, interesting enough to talk about, unfortunately. And the Memorial Cup's just sort of eking its way on into the round robin so yeah okay do we have a question anyone have a question Bueller uh not right now <laughs> stop are we ready for one I had a couple referee questions ready in the chamber but I think we just covered it um so I, mean, I have another question, but I just did the last episode. So I didn't want to like. Hey, I had a good three episode run. So go for and it. Okay. And I'll take a Cassie grenade anytime. Therefore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one's a good one because this is going to make you think. All right. We bash on the NHL mercilessly for everything that they do wrong. What is it that they do right? Anything? <sighs> yeah, I can tell next episode's going to be a long one. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at 3v3 Podcast. This has been the 3v3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody. <laughs>